Our sermon today will be taken from the book of Luke, and that will be Luke 6. I'm forgetting which verses it is. 27 through 28. If you please rise out of honor of God's word. Luke 6, verses 27 through 28. That's found on page 1097 in your Black Pew Bible. Luke 6, 27 through 28, on page 1097. They read in Jesus' name. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. Let us pray. Father, as we come to apply these truths, these commands, these callings. Lord, we pray that you would be at work in our hearts. Lord, and that through this, that you would help us to trust you more and indeed be more like Jesus. Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thanks, Jim. So I'm, I'm going to start off with a question. And that question is, how many of you trust Jesus? All right. How many of you love your enemies? <laughs> yeah. It's, what Jesus is calling us to here isn't easy. You know, he's not, because he's not giving us the easy path in life. He's giving us the right path. In life. He's given us the right way to interact with the world instead of the way that our sin interacts with the world because as our sinful, as, okay, I can't say our, I can say my. As my sinful flesh interacts with the world, I want people to like me and I want people to be happy with everything I do and I also then want people to leave me alone otherwise. Um, I might as well be honest. But what does Jesus tell us? He doesn't say, hey, go off and do your own thing. Go off and just do it the way that you want it done. Rather, do it the way that I'm calling you to do it. Live with this world in a way that's going to be so different from the way the world lives that it's just going to be absolutely opposite. And so Jesus tells us then, love your enemies. Now, what is love? We're not talking about having affection for because that's kind of what our culture titles love now. If you watch any movie that's talking about love, it's going to be that, you know, that having affection for someone. I like this person because of how they make me feel. And that's, that's affection. And so I love this person. Well, why? It's because they make me feel good. They make me feel happy. They make me feel complete. Well, then who are you actually loving? That person or yourself? I want them around because of how they make me feel. Well, that's not love. The best way that I can title that is affection. Now, hopefully, as you love people, you'll also have affection for them or learn to have affection for them. But nevertheless, that's not love. And so Jesus tells us to love, but he doesn't just leave it there and leave it up to the interpretation of the people that are listening to him and then us as well. Rather, Jesus says, love your enemies. And then he goes on to explain what that means. Do 
good to those who hate you. And so what does it mean to love someone whether or not you have that affection for them? This means to do good for them. This is um, really, this is speaking not of your internal emotions. This is speaking of your external actions. So this is speaking of the way that, how do you interact with someone? Are you seeking their good? Are you doing good to them? So I was talking to Kirsten about this yesterday morning. Um, as, as Kirsten was getting ready for Abby's bridal shower yesterday, it doesn't feel like Sunday for some reason. I don't know why. Uh, it feels like this, today should be Saturday. That's probably because I was out late last night. And I don't often, you know, spend Saturday nights out late partying. <laughs> Thankfully, I was just with Youth for Christ. So I, I'm not going to answer about Friday. Um, <laughs> I know. But, so Kirsten was up late. I don't even know what time she went to bed. I just got tired and I went to bed. And she asked me, Joe, wake me up at 6 o'clock. And so I knew that she went to bed late Friday night. Because I went to bed around 11.30. I woke up for some reason. Oh, Soren woke up about 1. And so then I woke up at about 1 and Kirsten was still up. And, and she wanted me to wake her up at 6. And I was like, man, that's only four hours of sleep. You know, it would be, it would be really loving in the way that the world thinks of loving for me to just let her sleep, right? But that's the way that the world thinks about loving, right? That I'm going to make them happy. It would be make Kirsten happier in the short term to sleep. In the short term. But that wouldn't really be good for her, would it? Because she had a shower. She still had to get things ready for the bridal shower. And then she needed to be here by what, 8 o'clock or something of that sort. And so I would be sacrificing her long term for her short term. And so I'd be sacrificing her long-term happiness for her short-term benefit. She can sleep another half an hour or an hour, but then she's going to miss out on the party and then be stressed out. So we do that too when we're interacting with the world. Because what does it mean for me to do good to a world that hates me? It means to look to their long-term end. You know, and so then, if I'm going to be doing good to someone and they sin against me, that means that I fulfill Matthew 18, that I confront them. Someone sins against you, you go to them one-on-one and you tell them. Why? For their good. Because that's what's best for them. And that's actually what's best for me, but that's what's best for them. It's like, well, but that makes me feel uncomfortable. So what? You're supposed to be doing good for them. Jesus doesn't say do good for you. He says do good for them. So we confront people out of love for them. We talk to people out of love for them. When they sin against us, we do what's good for them. Is it good for them for me to just say, you know what? This sin, I'm not going to tell them about it. I'm just going to fester about it. Is that good for anybody? No. We need to speak these things out. We need to talk to people in private. Or even better, you know the great Minnesota passive-aggressive, I'm going to hold on to this until I get so angry that I blow up in public. Like, oh, that's going to be good for everybody. No, we do good for them. The, what is actually good for them? It, we seek their upbuilding. We seek their edification. We seek to admonish them out of, out of a desire to see them grow for the long term. You know, in their relationship with Christ. Because this is what Christ does for us. So not only that, but we bless them. So what does this mean? How many of you have found yourself ruminating, I'm going to use that word, 
thinking about over and over and over again about the bad or the perceived bad that someone has done to you ever. Have any of you ever done that? It starts rolling around in your mind, rolling around in your mind, rolling around in your mind. What are you thinking? You are allowing yourself, okay, I don't know about you. When I'm doing this, I'm allowing myself to feel that pain so that I can kind of be the victim here. So that I can rejoice in my righteousness and their unrighteousness. So that I can say, you know what, I'm better than them because I haven't done this to them. And so then I'm thinking about all of the ills that they have done to me. Is that blessing them? So what does it mean then to bless? That means that the thoughts in my head would be positive towards them. Instead of thinking about all the bad that they've done, maybe I should think about all the good that they've done. Or maybe I should talk to God about the good or ask God to bless them with the good. And so when we're thinking about, when we're meditating on, when we're pursuing those things in our minds that are for their negative, then we're cursing them. But when we're pursuing in our minds those things that are positive, spending time thinking about the good, the blessing, the, you know, what God is doing through them or what God is doing with them or what God is doing in them. And then we can rejoice in those things, but that takes work because it doesn't take any work for me to ruminate about the bad things that are happening. Like that's just passive. I can passively do that. But for me to actually take control of my own mind, which I know sounds scary, um, that takes work to actively think about the good things that God wants in their lives because that's what it means to bless someone. You know, you hear all of this woo-hoo about the positive thoughts. This is it actually properly applied. I'm not sending positive energies Janet's way. No. As I'm changing the way that I think. I don't have an issue with Janet. But I'm changing the way that I think about Janet so that when I think about Janet, it's only the good things. It's only the good things. Because if I'm not going to confront someone about what I perceive as bad, why should I be thinking about them? Why should I be ruminating on those things, chewing them over? It doesn't serve any purpose other than hurt me and then give me a bad relationship with that person. So this is what it means to love them, to think about the good on their behalf. And we pray for those who spitefully use you. So if, if someone's continuing to do this, where do I go with it? I bring them to God. Because, you know, if someone's spitefully using me, being, I'm not going to get into that until the next part. But who are they sinning against? If someone's spitefully using me, are they sinning against me or are they sinning against my God? They're sinning against God. And that's a problem. That's a bigger problem than them sinning against me. They're sinning against God. This shows me that their relation, they have something wrong in their relationship with God. And that's not good. Because ultimately, God will punish. God says, vengeance is mine, declares the Lord. I will repay. And I don't want to be paying some of the debts that people are incurring. You know, they're sinning against God. And so I need to be praying for these people. I need to be praying that their eyes would be open, that their hearts would be softened, that they'd come to see God and know God rightly. Because until they do that, they can't help but sin against me. As our world sins against Christians right now, there's more Christian persecution going on in the world today than there ever has been in the history of humanity. You know, maybe not based upon the percentage of Christians, but based upon the number of Christians. There's so many Christians out there and in so many places, they are being, they're being slaughtered right now. You think about the stuff going on in sub-Sahara Africa 
And between the, should I even say it? Probably kicked off of YouTube. Between some of these Muslim terrorist groups there and the Christian populace. They're being killed. They're being persecuted. They're being enslaved right now. But who are they sinning against? Are they sinning against the Christians? Or are they sinning against God? Because these Christians are made in the image of God. These human beings are made in the image of God. And so it's the image of God that they're sinning against. God will repay. We need to pray for these people. That their eyes would be open, that their hearts would be soft, and they'd come to know Jesus. Because unless they accept the forgiveness of Jesus now, they're going to spend eternity in hell. What would be better? To have them accept Jesus now or to spend eternity in hell? Because Jesus already paid that penalty. For the sake of our Lord, we want them to come to forgiveness. For the sake of their souls, we want them to come for, to forgiveness. When they sin against us, we should pity them because that means there is something wrong in their relationship with God and we need to pray for them that their eyes would be opened and their hearts would be softened. Does that make sense? Are any of these things easy? No. That's why I asked, do you trust Jesus? Because this is what Jesus is telling us to do. And if we trust Jesus, we should say, all right, Lord, I'm going to give it my best. Um, and you're going to have to forgive me for all those times that I fail because this is what's proper. So who are our enemies? You know, I, I'm guessing that none of you have a nemesis, right? I hope none of you have a nemesis. <laughs> Maybe Gene does. I don't know. Probably not. <laughs> so who are my enemies? You know, we think about enemies and it's like something out of a James Bond film. Or, you know, Marvel or something like that. That's an enemy. Like, well, no. Who are our enemies? They are those who hate us. So, biblical concept of hate. They are those who choose someone else other than you. You're not chosen by them. They're not letting me into their group. They're, they're excluding me. That's what it means. That's the biblical concept of hatred. They're not choosing me. They're keeping me out of their group. And how many of you have ever experienced that? Being kept out of the group, being kept out of the, in, you know, the insiders. That's not fun at all. So how do we interact with these people? Well, we do good to them. They're not doing good to us. But then how do we interact with them? We do good to them. No matter what my emotions are saying, no matter what my heart is saying to me, Jesus is calling me to do good, to bless, to pray for those who exclude me, those who keep me out. Because again, when they sin against me, they're not really sinning against me. I'm the collateral damage here. They're sinning against God. There's something wrong in their relationship with God and that's affecting me. But ultimately, it's their relationship with God. So they're excluding me. They're keeping me away. Those who curse you. So what's, when we talked about blessing, talked about thinking good, thinking good, thinking about the good. When they're cursing me, they're thinking about the bad, thinking about the bad, meditating on the bad of, of this errors that I have done or what they perceive that I have done. Because sometimes that happens too. Have any of you ever been mischaracterized? I know I have. I've done something that I thought was, well, usually it's me doing something that I think is funny and someone takes it as offensive. Yeah, that's usually what happens. <laughs> maybe I have to stop trying to be funny. No, maybe not. Well, we'll see. So, but what are they thinking about? They're thinking about the bad that I've done or that I've perceived to have done. And they're meditating on those things. And then what does that build up in people? That builds up that hatred. That builds up that desire to have them be gone from you. Because their thoughts are simply 
focused upon the negative. And so as they interact with God, as they interact with me, they're going to seek to do bad. They're gonna, that's going to come out of them because out of the treasures of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so what are they investing into themselves? It's all the negative. It's all, all the yuck. It's all the gross. It's, it's all the pain and all the sorrow and all that stuff they're ingesting in themselves and they're meditating on that and they're ruminating on that and that's what they're becoming. And so as they interact with anybody in this world, what's going to come out? That. This is one of the reasons why Jesus says that we bless those so that when we interact with them, it's only good things coming out. Because when the world is doing this, how do they interact? It's only in negative. It's only in cursing. This isn't speaking about swearing. This isn't speaking about curse words. This is speaking about seeking that which is hurtful and harmful and destructive to those who are around us. And so that's how they're going to interact with us. Why? Because that's what they're doing in their mind. They're ruminating, they're ruminating upon all the negatives, upon all that's hurtful, upon all that's sorrowful. That's what they're thinking about. That's what it means to curse someone. Thankfully, Proverbs tells us that a curse without cause will not alight. It won't stick. So I don't need to worry about that person that's cursing me because even if they curse me towards God or they curse me towards men, if it doesn't fit, it won't stick. The glove doesn't, no, I'm not going to go to that one. (laughs) Those who abuse you. Now this is present tense. And so this isn't those who have abused you. This is actually speaking about a continual relationship. This is, and at what level is this speaking? Is this speaking about emotional abuse? Like, well, yeah. Is this speaking about verbal abuse? Yeah. Is this speaking about physical abuse? Yeah. This, you know, what level of abuse is Jesus leaving out here? How do we interact? Like, that, that's a horrible situation to be in, to be in an abusive situation. And you know what? Sometimes we love them. Well, we always have to confront them then. If we're loving this person, we need to confront them. We need to bring them to Jesus and show them what they're doing so that hopefully they'll stop. If they do stop, then praise God. If they don't stop, well, what does Matthew tell us? So then we go through those situations in Matthew. We go and we talk to them one-on-one. We go and we bring another with us. And then if they don't listen to one or two who are with us, because by the evidence of two or three witnesses, every, every accusation will be established. Then we bring it to the congregation. Jim? Loving your enemies doesn't mean avoiding the consequences. Yep. Loving your enemies doesn't mean avoiding the consequences or allowing them to avoid the consequences of their actions. Because sometimes the most loving thing we can do is make sure that those consequences come upon them. Because... <laughs> It's like the child whose parents are always fixing the mistakes that they make. What happens then? The child never has to engage with their own mistakes. And so they never have to engage with their consequences. They can never grow. And so what's loving though? It's to show them those things. Because you know what? I don't know about you guys, but I interact with a lot of people in this world, uh, particularly non-Christians, who don't have the ability to think long-term. For whatever reason. I don't know why. They can't think about what this bad idea that they're living in right now, what that's going to do to them a year, five years, 10 years, 20 years down the road. They don't think about that. And so then we show those things to them so that they'll know and they'll understand, so that they'll understand and see the consequences and hopefully turn. And so those who are abusing us, this is what we do. We pray for them, we bring them to the Lord, and then we, we do good to them. But what's that good? That good is oftentimes holding their feet to the fire, 
You know, speaking the truth, you hurt me. Well, I don't care that I hurt you. Well, then we bring our, their peers, our peers to them. Then we bring the congregation to them, whatever that congregation is. And if at that point they say, you know what, I still don't care about you. You say, all right, I'm going to leave you with the Lord. I'm going to continue to pray for you. I'm going to look forward to the day when the Lord brings repentance. So then we back off from the relationship because we've done all that we can. But what is that? Is that for us just protecting ourselves? No, because that's the best thing that can happen to them. Does that make sense? These are the people that we're interacting with in this world. We're interacting with those who are going to exclude us, those who hate us. We're going to interact with those who curse us. They're just living out all the negative perceptions in their minds. And we're going to interact with those who are going to seek to abuse us. Because you know what? That's the only way they know how to interact with the world. Because abuse is, it's the people that just withdraw, withdraw, withdraw. They don't invest back in. They don't bless. They don't benefit. They don't build. They don't grow. They just abuse. They take, they take, they take. The leech has two daughters. Give and give, Solomon says in Proverbs. That's how they interact with us. And so what do we do? We do what's good for them. So how do we, so that, that sounds easy, right? <laughs> Not so much. But thankfully, God has given us training ground. So I'm going to read Jeremiah 12, verses 1 through 6. That's up on your screen. Um, and as I was preparing for this, this verse kept going through my head and kept going through my head, and which is why we only did two verses today for Sunday because of this passage. So it starts out, Jeremiah is talking to God. Righteous are you, O Lord, when I complain to you. Yet I would plead my case before you. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all who are treacherous thrive? You plant them and they take root. They grow and produce fruit. You are near in their mouth and far from their heart. But you, O Lord, know me. You see me and you test my heart toward you. Pull them out like sheep for the slaughter and set them apart for the day of slaughter. Do any of you guys resonate with this? <laughs> I read this and it's like, yeah, Jeremiah, he's speaking my words. And now God or no, this is still Jeremiah. How long will the land mourn and the grass of every field wither for the evil of those who dwell in it? The beasts and the birds are swept away because they say, he will not see our latter end. So then God answers Jeremiah, if you have raced with men on foot and they have wearied you, how will you compete with horses? And if in a safe land you are so trusting, what will you do in the thicket of the Jordan? For even your brothers in the house of your father, even they have dealt treacherously with you. They are in full cry after you. Do not believe them, though they speak friendly words to you. So what is this about? I'm going to go back to verse 5. If you have raced with men on foot and they have wearied you, how will you compete with horses? If in a safe land you are so trusting, what will you do in the thicket of the Jordan? So what does this mean? This means that we haven't seen anything yet. That the, and I'm not saying that it's going to happen during our generation. I can't say that. I'm not a, God hasn't shown me that. So I don't know. But I'm saying that the possibility 
of there being worse coming exists, doesn't it? It's happened all throughout the history of humanity. Worse has come. I'm not saying that it is right now because you know what? Jesus could come back at any point. I'm not saying that it's going to be worse. I'm just saying that it could be. And so if what's going on right now is wearying to us, if, if as we're interacting with relatively godly people that that gets to be too much for us, God is saying, hey, what's going to happen when you race against horses? If you can't practice this now, what's going to happen when it gets worse? Because I don't know about any of you, but I've never had to sprint against a horse. I'm pretty confident that it would beat me. And in the long run, it would beat me too. And if it stepped on me, it would beat me. Um, I would lose. So what do we do? As we're interacting, if, if we can't get this right here as a congregation, where do we start? We start here. We start practicing, practicing these things among Christians. You know, if, if Jim does something to me, how do I interact with Jim? Someone who I trust knows God. Why can't I practice these things here? You know, Jim hurts me. What do I do? I sit there and become bitter about it because he's a Christian. He should know better. No. I speak to Jim. I say, Jim, this is what happened. We start trying to practice these things so that we can learn and we can grow so that we can gain confidence in this. You know, something's, something's going on and someone's abusing me and, and I feel like I'm just, every time I interact with that person, I'm just drained, I'm just drained, I'm just drained. What do I do? I pray for them. Pray for those who spitefully use you. I bring these people to God. You know, and if someone does something to me and it, it turns out that it really wasn't anything, it was just, you know, kind of an, an irritation or they didn't, they didn't choose me like I'd hoped they would. My expectations were dashed. What happens? What do I do? I love them. I bless them. Because if we can't do this here, if we can't race with men, how do we expect to be trained when it comes to horses? When there is evil people who are actively seeking to do evil towards us. Because that's what exists. You know, you think about the Boko Haram out in, oh, I'm forgetting which nation they're in. What was that? Nigeria, thank you. Um, you know, you think about the way the Christians are interacting with them there. And, and they're blessing them and they're forgiving them and they're acting like Christians. And, and I don't know if I could do that. So what do we do? We start practicing that here. People hurt me. Have you ever, how, how many of you have ever been hurt by Christians? Any of you? Yeah. So what do we do? We bless them. What do we do? We do good to them. What do we do? We pray for them. Do we then meditate and ruminate on all the bad that they've done for us? Do we curse them? No. We bless them. Because this is where we practice that stuff. So that when the world brings it in, because they will, somewhere along the line, if you're interacting with the world, they will hate you if you live for Jesus. We don't practice victimhood. Sorry, I got those confused in my mind. Because I don't allow myself to be the victim in this situation. Because if someone hurts me, you know what? Jesus is showing me how to take control of myself. Not how to take control of them, how to take control of myself. So instead of allowing the bad to come down upon me, because all this woke stuff going on in our culture is teaching people how to be victims. And Jesus is showing us that we're not victims. 
Because this is in the imperative. This is a command. You're not a victim. Someone does something mean to you, you have a choice. You can either allow them to do that or you can be good to them. You can take control of yourself. We're not victims. We don't live in victimhood. It doesn't benefit us. This woke stuff doesn't benefit anybody. Anybody, anywhere, ever. Because once you become a victim, the next step is always bitterness. Always. It will always come. And that bitterness, once that takes root, oof, you got to watch out because that's tough to get out of there. That's like th- letting thistles grow in your garden or doing the mistake that Kirsten and I did and we allowed too many milkweed for the monarchs and now we're fighting milkweed. They're almost as bad as thistles except they don't hurt and it just gets sticky. But that's bitterness. Like you pull out that one bitterness, what comes up the next day? More bitterness. That's a, those thistle or those milkweed. We pulled them out and you know what came up the next day? More milkweed. So why don't we allow bitterness into our hearts? Because once you repent of that one, it's like, oh yeah, God, that's bitterness. I don't want that in here. I throw it into my yard. Lord, take care of that. And then I look in that spot tomorrow. That bitterness has come right back. I got to do it again. Now I got to do it again. Now I got to do it again. So why do we not allow ourselves to be victims? Because bitterness will always come. They do evil to us. You know what? That's in their nature. I do good to them because that's what's in mine. I bless. I pray for. I build up. Because this is what Jesus is calling us to do. Because this is what Jesus does. You're like, well, how am I going to survive in the midst of that? Do you trust Jesus? He says he will provide. Any questions? This is an opportunity for us to practice our faith, to exercise our faith. We start that here because it happens here amongst Christians. I'm not just saying Hosanna. I'm saying every church. Edgar was telling us at, uh, when he went to Crown, I hope Edgar is all right with me telling, saying this, he interacted with a lot of students that had church hurt. You know what they're doing? If they're meditating on that church hurt, they're disobeying Jesus. I don't have the right to meditate on all my hurt. I either have the right to deal with it or to give it to God and then bless. Amen. Let us pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for guidance. Lord, because this stuff is not normal in this world. I can't look to politics to figure out how to love my enemies. I can't look to wars to figure out how to love my enemies. I can't look to the world to figure out how to love my enemies. But you show us. You tell us. And you command us. And so we thank you. Lord, and I pray that we would trust you and that we would walk in these truths out of love for you. Lord, and where we fail, I ask for forgiveness. And I ask for cleansing. Lord, and I thank you that you do. Lord, that this that you command us these things out of love for us. Blessed be your name, Father. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Our final hymn today is Holy.